Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Those who had believed that Jesus was going to set up this political, earthly kingdom, but now they could see that wasn't going to happen. Their hopes of overthrowing Rome were dashed. Get rid of this guy. The true Messiah would be coming. Well, when we look at that kind of a crowd, people that are fickle, people that are silent, people that are disappointed, I think it's a challenge to you and I as Christians. What kind of people are we when there's difficulties in our lives? If you've never taken part in a fad, maybe a particular hairstyle or silly-looking pants or a flash-in-the-pan band, the day came when they were no longer cool. Maybe you still like that band or preferred your hair that way, but you abandoned that style because to keep it would have meant enduring ridicule. So many Christians fall away from God for the same reasons. They're on fire at first, but the minute that trouble or persecution comes, they drop their faith in order to maintain the status quo of the world. If all of those people came back to the faith, churches would be overflowing. As believers, we need to be people of boldness, ready to proclaim Him with zeal. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 1, for part one of our message entitled, The Agony of Love. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, they reached a decision. Now, you remember the chief priests and the teachers of the law had already made a decision even before they arrested Jesus, but they made a decision to pronounce Jesus guilty of blasphemy. For them, that was worthy of death. They met again in the morning because their first meeting, which was at night, during the night, was illegal. Sanhedrin couldn't meet, but they did it, and they just kind of rubber-stamped it in the morning. And this is what they did. The verse continues, And they bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Now, you remember Pilate was the Roman governor over the region. He had held office for about ten years at this point. Because of that, he had a pretty good reputation with Rome. He wanted to keep it. The only way you could get up as a procreator and so forth was to continue to do well. The Jews, however, naturally hated Pilate. And we also know, realistically, Pilate despised the Jews. Now, normally, he lived in Caesarea, in the Mediterranean Sea there. We'll see where normally Pilate lived. But he would come to Jerusalem on special occasions. Well, this was the Passover. This was certainly a special occasion. I didn't care about the Passover, but he was coming to make sure that he protected the people that were there because there was many people that would come to Jerusalem from all over for this particular time. Now, when he came there, he stayed probably in, in Herod's palace, as was pretty much customary for him, rather than the Antonio Fortress. Now, the Jewish leaders had one goal, religion was dead, but they liked it that way because they were getting rich, they were in control, they had the people where they wanted them, 
They hated Jesus because when Jesus came, he said, away with dead religion. Let's bring some life to your relationship with God. So their goal all along was to kill Jesus because they believed, mistakenly, that when they killed Jesus, that would end his threat. Little did they know they were fulfilling that which was going to spread what we're all doing here tonight because of God's power. Now, they came with the charge of blasphemy. The problem was, as you well know, in those days, Rome was in control of Israel. So Israel could not put anybody to death. Actually, if they had blasphemy, they would have stoned Jesus. But they were not in control of that. So they're going to bring Jesus to Pilate, because when they bring him to Pilate, they're now going to change the blasphemy, really, to treason. And that was going to be a capital offense, a threat to Rome, and a threat to Caesar. Verse 2, Pilate stood there before Jesus. Here's what he said. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, yes, it is as you say. The Jews probably, the Sanhedrin probably hoped that Pilate would just say, I'll take your charge, that's fine, let's go on with it. But Pilate didn't want to do that. Remember, he didn't really care for the Jews. This is going to make it difficult for them. Instead of just automatically going along with their case and confirming it, he wanted to hear the case himself, the proceedings. So these proceedings were were held in public, and Jesus' response was, yes, I am. Now, we don't see it here, but here's a little bit of homework you can go. Read some of the other Gospels, and, and you'll fill in different parts that we're not able to bring out, obviously, here tonight in just this little bit of time. But in John chapter 18, Jesus responded basically, yes, I am the king of the Jews, but comma, I'm not a threat to you. So he's saying to Pilate, yes, but it's not the kind of kingdom you're thinking about. My kingdom is what? Not of this world. It's of heaven. So I'm not really a threat to you, Pilate. Now, because of this, we see the response in verse 3. And the chief priest accused him of many things. Probably what happened between verse 2 and verse 3 was the Jewish leaders could see that Pilate was going like, well, what's the big deal here? He's no threat to me. So immediately they start chiming in with their threats and start to accuse him of things. Now, let's turn for a moment to Luke 23 and let's look what they charged him with so you can see that it's a it's kind of a three-pronged charge. It's important that we see what they really charged him with. Now remember, they're looking for every... Every way they can to put Jesus to death. So in Luke 23, 2, it says this. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. And number three, he claims to be Christ, the king. So we see here, first of all, the three things you see there are tax evasion, and like didn't turn his IRS report in, treason, which we've seen plenty of that. He was a spy. And last of all, terrorism. He's here and he's been causing riots. All of these were lies. None of these were true with Jesus at all. If anybody caused the riots, it was the Jews. Look back in Mark 15, verse 4. How does Jesus respond to these accusations? So again, Pilate asked him, Are you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, 
That again is a prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah 53, 7. You can just pop that down and use that as a little bit of study this week. Jesus, as we already told you this morning, was not here to try to really win his case. He had already, in the garden, by submitting his will to God, determined this was God's time. He was headed to the cross. You remember from the foundations of the world, Jesus knew this is where he was headed. So he doesn't respond, and that's what Isaiah 53 says. Now, Pilate is amazed at this. No doubt, as he looked at Jesus and he saw the Jews, he could see, because he was a wise man, that Jesus was innocent. And he'd like to stick it to the Jews. And he's hoping that Jesus is going to respond and give him an excuse to overrule the Jews. You're going to see something all the way through this, that Pilate was watching out for two things. Number one, he didn't like the Jews. But number two, he was watching out for his own skin, his own political power. He did not want a riot. He didn't want that kind of thing happening, which would bring Rome down on him and maybe cause threat to his rulership. So he's going to be very careful, and he's going to have what we call a wobbly, weak conscience. He waffles this way, and he waffles that way. Luke 23 tells us that during this conversation, and let's turn back to Luke again. We'll be back and forth in a couple different Gospels tonight. Luke 23, verse 8. Luke tells us that in between this time, as he's trying to pass the buck over to somebody else to make this decision other than him, Pilate amazingly discovers something very interesting. He discovers that Jesus is from Galilee. So there's another person that Pilate doesn't like, and it's another leader, Herod, Antipas. He doesn't really like him. So here's what he thinks. I'll take this guy and poof him back over to my buddy, Herod. Let him make the decision. So let's look at verse 3. So here is Jesus. Now he's being played back between two religious leaders, Herod and Pilate, kind of rival leaders. Now, we know earlier that Herod had always wanted to see a miracle from Jesus, but down in his heart, he wanted to kill him. And you remember that from back in Matthew 14 when we went through that area. Verse 8, now when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been waiting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. And he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Pilate and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends before they had been enemies. So here Jesus combines two wishy-washy leaders who really don't know what to do with Jesus. And so Pilate gets Jesus back into his court. Now back to Mark chapter 15, verse 6. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. This is kind of a, a political move by the Romans to just give the Jews a little say in their kind of leadership once a year. They were allowed to have a prisoner of their choice released from jail. Now, a man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. So Barabbas was this notorious, we call him today probably a, a freedom fighter. He was well known. He was a robber. He was a murderer. 
He had been captured in this uprising of Jerusalem. He was awaiting execution for murder. Now, there is some history from Josephus and others that feel that Barabbas here was actually kind of a hero among the Jews, somewhat like maybe a Robin Hood that we'd be familiar with. Many of the rich tenant owners had forced the poor people off their land, and maybe this is what Barabbas was up to when he was caught in this uprising trying to overthrow Rome and so forth. And the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. And probably this crowd was incited initially and, all, and continually by the Jewish leaders. Now, it's interesting to note to think about what kind of people were in this crowd. This crowd came up to Pilate and said, we'd like to have a, uh, our custom that we do every year done at this time. The fickle crowd. Would this be the crowd that just a few days earlier when Jesus came in, we sang it this morning, Hosanna, Hosanna. Would this be the same crowd now that has turned totally, and you're going to see what they call for here in a moment, they're going to call for the crucifixion of Jesus. So is this the fickle crowd who had earlier said, Jesus, you're the one? Or is this the silent crowd? Many of those who were believers, possibly in this crowd, but were afraid at this point to voice their opinion? Or was this a disappointed crowd? Those who had believed that Jesus was going to set up this political earthly kingdom, but now they could see that wasn't going to happen. Their hopes of overthrowing Rome were dashed. Get rid of this guy. The true Messiah would be coming. Well, when we look at that kind of a crowd, people that are fickle, people that are silent, people that are disappointed. I think it's a challenge to you and I as Christians. What kind of people are we when there's difficulties in our lives? Let's turn to Mark chapter 4 for a moment. You see, we're going to see tonight at the end of our teaching, you're going to see that there's a man at the end of our story tonight that takes a bold step for God. We need to be bold people for Jesus in this world. We not need to be ashamed of proclaiming that we're Christians and that our desire is for God to change people's lives. Uh, you remember in the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, Others like seeing sown on rocky places, hear the word, at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. All of us probably know believers who fall into this category. They once were serving God, but their zeal is gone. They've fallen. They've maybe lost out with God. There's nothing in their life anymore. They believe it's too embarrassing to come back to God. Let's be praying for those people. If you knew some, if you know a friend that's kind of fallen away, just ask him to come. I'm going to pray that God's going to touch do you realize how many people we'd have in our churches who have fallen away from God if they would come back full on? Man, we'd be building churches all over the place. Better yet, we'd be sending missionaries all over the place, all over the world. So many people have lost out with God because of persecution. And I find myself, I don't know about other pastors, but I find many people lose out because they've been hurt in a church. And they just don't step back. Just a couple weeks ago, two different people basically say, well, I have a friend or a husband but he's hurt in the church. 
He won't come back. He's been hurt. She's been hurt in the church. She won't come back. Devil always seems to destroy from inside, doesn't he? We need to pray. We need to be people of boldness. Now turn to Acts 4. I want to show you what kind of people we should be. And you're going to see this at the end. So this is something for you to meditate on this week. As you and I look at when we're persecuted or when we have to stand for Jesus Christ, what kind of people should we be? And I believe this really stands out because it has our, our sermon people right in it. Acts 4, 27. Listen to Peter as he, after he's just been in, in jail, listen to what he says. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you've appointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This was their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And we're scared out of our mind and we're going to shut our mouth and not say a thing. No, that's the pre-Pentecost Peter. But here's what he said. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with what? Great boldness. And stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's the kind of people God wants. People that are filled with the Spirit. We're bold. We're not rude and crude with people. We're bold. And that boldness comes, as you know, Jesus said, you wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power. And it comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Spirit-filled life. And the, the evidence of the Spirit-filled life, the greatest evidence, is love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love for the lost. Love for God. All right, let's head back to Mark. So these people, Pilate asked all these people, Mark 15, 9, well, what do you want me to do here? Here's what they said. Pilate says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him? So see, all along, what he's believing is going to happen is this, that he thinks Jesus is so popular with many of the average people, they're going to speak up and yell for Jesus. He's going to get out of making a decision he doesn't want to make by offering Barabbas who's a you know murderer and whatever, you take Barabbas and you take Jesus, and there should be enough Jesus lovers, he's going to say what? They're going to vote for who? Jesus. So I'm off the hook. So he says this, but it looks in verse 11, we have some people in the background. Religion always stirs things up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So jealousy resulted in pride, and the chief priest stir up the people. What shall then I do with... The one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. And if you've been in church at least two Easter's, you've probably heard a pastor teach from that verse. What shall then I do with the one you call king of the Jews? That is the most important question you can ever respond to. What am I personally going to do with Jesus Christ? Religion hides that. In the temple, the curtain was torn from bottom to top. Top to bottom. Showing that man could not save himself. See, religion says, I, I can be right with God. 
No, you can't be right with God by your works. You must come only through Jesus Christ. That's the only way to God. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a minister. You don't need a pope. You don't need an apostle. You need Jesus Christ. And we come boldly, directly to the throne. Maybe there's some of you here who haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? You see, if you don't respond to Jesus Christ, you're left with the two things that sin always causes. And those are death, eternal and physical, and separation from God, which is hell. You don't want that. You must determine. The last barrier that has to come down in your life is the barrier in your heart. You must open the door. God will not force his way into your life. You must choose. So this is a great statement. Remember, 1 John 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life. He who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. Always choose life. Well, the response in verse 13 was this. Crucify him. They shouted, Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. And here we have wishy-washy again. Verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, afraid of an insurrection, a riot, Pilate released Barabbas to them. So what really happens there is he has a conscience, he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he does it anyway. It's a dangerous place to be in compromising when you know it's right. It's one of the two sins we talked about this morning. You know, the sin of missing the mark, trying to do well, but missing it. But the other sin was transgression, where you absolutely know you shouldn't be doing it, but you do it anyway. That's what he's doing. Because of time, I won't, I'll just read you from Matthew 27. Here's how Pilate tries to solve this when he knows he's done wrong. And it says this. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but they, that instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. He said, it's your responsibility. See, this is always man. I want to blame somebody else. Pilate should have stood for the truth. But he didn't. And he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. We know what this flogging was. We'll talk a little more about it later. And the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. And they put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. Where did thorns come from? Genesis 3.17. Because of sin, to Adam God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat of the plants of the field. Sin has long-term effects. The thorns that came because of sin were placed on Jesus. And they began in verse 18 to call on him, Hail, King of the Jews. And again and again they struck him on the head and with a staff and spitting on him and falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his, put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. That's a fulfilled prophecy of Isaiah 50, verse 6, which says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard, I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. In today's message, we saw the persistence of the Jewish leaders to see Jesus killed. Pilate, however, resisted condemning Jesus to death. Perhaps his conscience gave him pause. 
A light goes on for Pilate when he realized that he could pass the buck to Herod, who went along with the crowd and sentenced Jesus to death. Even through all the accusations, Jesus stayed silent. A murderer and thief was released, but the Messiah went to his death. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, we'll hear about the physical anguish that Jesus endured on the cross. But his spiritual turmoil was far greater. After Jesus relinquishes his life, a man will come forward with no fear of retribution from the Jewish leaders to offer a tomb for the Savior. His reverence for Jesus is so great, he'll come boldly to retrieve to retrieve Jesus' body in order to lovingly place him there. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living.